It's time for the official Titans podcast, better known as the OTP. Mike Keith, and as always, Amy Wells. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm a little damp, but good. It rained some at practice today. It sure did. But they got it in outside. Yep. The fans got to see the Titans and the Bucks part two. Yes. Here at St. Thomas Sports Park. Mm-hmm. And day two of Titans Bucks brought out tons of stars. Oh, gosh. It was great. Tons it was of so stars. Fun to watch. Rondé Barber was here. Yes, he mm-hmm. was. Who's that voice? I jumped in. Charles Aha! Davis of Fox Sports and NFL Network. Not a Speak, star. Speaking Not a of star. stars. Eddie George was here. Eddie George was here. Gene Deckerhoff, who is the voice of not only the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but, but the Florida State Seminoles as well. Wow. Can you imagine that? And and you know what Gene's schedule's like because yes. you understand. You've, you've done similar things in the past. I mean, Gene essentially parks in Atlanta. I think during the season, kind of has. I've heard he had like a motor home or something, something crazy, and that's his jump off point all the time because Florida State home games get to Atlanta, fly to wherever Tampa is if he has to get there, or he can just drive to Tampa. But if it's a road game, you know, I've, I think there was one time, if I heard correctly, they were in Seattle and he had a Florida State night game. <gasps> And I think Florida and, State is first. Yes, Florida State is first, and then Tampa second. But he had the Florida State night game, Seattle game the next day and walked in and sat down 30 minutes before kickoff and did the broadcast for for Tampa. He is awesome. too. That gives me anxiety just hearing that story. If you meet him, you totally get he's unfazed by about everything. Totally. Now, he has this great voice. They used to have on their Tampa on the Tampa Bay Buccaneer website when you would go to certain pages, he would say things and his sayings would like pop up. And so I found one that I just loved, and so I just kept doing it over and over and over again like I was a four-year-old child. <laughs> Fire them cannons! Because, yes. you know, they have the pirate ship in the end zone. Yeah. Any, anytime you get inside the 20-yard line, right, don't, mm-hmm. don't they, raise, they, they raise the Jolly Roger? Right. Fire the cannons. Fire them cannons! <laughs> Mike, we should do that with your sayings. I, I don't have anything that interesting. Oh, you for sure do. No. You don't yes. think that people would no. want a cell phone ringer of you yelling sack? No. I don't think they would. So. Oh gosh! Not if it nearly, went off in a meeting or something, not nearly as interesting as Gene Deckerhoff say. Oh, and if I it went know. off in the meeting, that uh-huh. person would get a raise. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or like the middle of church. The that would be church. so good. That would the be min- so min- bad. The, min- the minister would be like, and that <laughs> brings me back to the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bad thing about the whole church, they just to to throw one thing. I'm in church two weeks ago, and somebody's phone goes off. Isn't it always somebody over 80 whose yeah. phone goes off in church? Oh, absolutely. No and, clue how to turn and, it and off. And that's the and then best they're yeah. around. Then they're grabbing their phone. And first of all, they don't even realize it's their they phone. They don't realize first. it's their phone. <laughs> and it's always some bad ringer, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's the first ring they set to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, never, and, and they don't it's remember it's move. their ringer. And so it happened, and it went off three times. So we have a new minister at our church, and I really was impressed how he powered through. Just, he just played. He just young guy, ball. talented young guy, and he's he's got the sermon going, and he's like ten minutes into it, oh. and the phone goes off, and it is. And I know this per- sweet person, not going to say male or female, sweet person, older person. Yeah. Can't. can't yep. It's uh, don't mean to stereotype, but it can't can't, pretty, fi- can't yeah. fire away from the pulpit. On no, no, nope, it's now, a, now we want to blame the young people. Now, if that now if that know, had been if that had been you, yes, 
You might have got a look from the preacher. Phone mm-hmm. stays in the car for me because it would be, it would me, be me if I brought my phone in. in it, it would it would be me. So we got Gene Deckerhoff, we got Eddie George, we got Rondé Barber, we got your TV partner for Titans Telecast, Dan, Dan, Dan Helley. Dan Helley's in. That's mm-hmm. from NFL star. Network. Yep. By the way, did you see their ratings in week one? Heard they were pretty good. <laughs> the best in years. See? Are people fired up about the Titans? Heck yes, they are. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I love how you said our ratings. Why you know, with the, the organization? W- WKRN's ratings, right? How great is that? Well, it was our team. team. It's our team. It is phenomenal on that one. But you know what's funny in our business, as we well know, we have a few of our colleagues who would actually say the ratings because of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not because of the Titans, right? They <laughs> well, go, I think, well, you know, we did the broadcast and you wouldn't believe the rating we got. Now, I, t- I actually work with a person, I won't say where, that worked on a show and came in and announced to a group of us, I need to ask for a raise. Our ratings are really up and blah, 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 blah. And in the group, another person that will remain nameless said, let me tell you something about the show you do. Chimp, red rubber ball, same rating. <laughs> get over yourself. I know. But you know how it is? Oh. You know how it is. We, I mean, we, I, yeah. We get like that. The Titans are bringing us this rating. Well, we but ha- you guys. we are so happy but to it's be a great, But it's a great broadcast they do. I got to watch it back. They did a fantastic job. Dan and, and Charles and, and Corey Curse. It was really well done. What I enjoyed about it, and thank you for saying that, what I enjoyed about it is when you work with with – you know, Corey's here in the market, mm-hmm. understands the team as well as anyone. Able to get him, I'm not going to call it seamlessly because that's too much patting ourselves, but to be able to say to Corey, hey, Corey, what about, and he's got, mm-hmm. I think Corey got in a lot on the broadcast, which I enjoy. And preseason football, that's the way it's supposed to be, a three-person conversation. You know, everyone's got information, everyone's got something, and, and he's going to know the team as well as anyone. And I just want to make sure he, is part of the whole thing. Because, you know, I've worked with crews before where if you're working on the sideline, you could leave and they wouldn't know you were gone. <laughs> Did you leave the other night on the radio? <laughs> Only like twice. And it's she because left? they had hot dogs. I mean, we were in okay. Wisconsin. Get, what am I going to do? Not eat a hot dog? Please tell me you got a brat, not a hot dog. I did actually okay. get a brat right, good. the she night had, before. The night before, she had a hamburger with a brat on it. I don't mess around. Listen. Wh- Straight to the good stuff. When in Wisconsin. Uh, exactly. That's good go. stuff. Eating like really a local. Okay, so let's talk a little ball here. Yeah. Since Charles Davis is on the program. Um, what did you think of the Titans last week at Green Bay? What were your overall thoughts about preseason game number one? Seeing the possibilities. You know, when you watch preseason game one, I'm projecting forward. You know, not there. What the run game can be. What the pass game will be off of the run game. A little hint of it for the fans at home to see what this offense can be if they all are able to stay together and not have catastrophic injuries and the whole deal. Because being able to run the football is paramount for this offense. And that fits a lot of what the offensive linemen like to do anyway. You know, everybody's talking about, hey, you know, we're going to go to the zone blocking scheme and not as much gap and power. They'll still run gap and power. They'll zone, zone, zone. And then, then when they decide to run gap and power and now you're going straight at someone after you've moved them, that's going to be interesting to see those bodies, like, 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 like bowling pins, get knocked aside when Lawan and Spain and Jones and, you know, and Klein and, and when Jack Conklin gets back, but Dennis Kelly beforehand, when they're able to fire out and smack someone, they're very happy. 
But then off of it, we saw a little bit of it, right? You saw the bootleg a little bit with, with Marcus and his health. Ugh, to see him moving around again, like the, the kid I remember coming out of Oregon, not playing hurt and not telling people. I'm loving what I'm seeing, and I can't wait to see the receivers get more and more integrated into it. Flipping it over defensively, I think you got a lot of ball hawks. You know, Kevin Byard obviously eight interceptions last year, but I think with the Dory Jackson, he's going to get his hands on some footballs this year. Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler. The one play where Malcolm Butler got beat, the coverage was there. It's a tremendous throw and a great lean by the receiver, mm-hmm. I thought. Geronimo Allison, I believe it was, wasn't it? Downfield. Was it Allison? No, no. It, w- it was uh, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, yes. But Allison had a catch, too. Allison, but, but Adams on that play, it was just tremendous because he was right there with him, and the ball was thrown outside, and he just leaned away and made the catch. That's going to happen from time to time, but you guys have seen all summer Malcolm Butler's been something else. I'll tell you what, Malcolm Butler, even out at practices that we've seen, he's constantly making plays. He's constantly moving forward. Well, what else, too? Yesterday, out here, Mike Evans worked him some. Mm-hmm. Okay. Today, yeah. he won some. He, he does not quit. He doesn't nope. get phased. He either. doesn't get phased. And listen, he's not perfect. Nobody's saying you're going to Revis Island or no. anything like that. Don't need to. But, I mean, he fights who said it on the show that he is to the defense what Delaney Walker is to the offense? I didn't say that. Someone else said it. And, yeah. I, thought, and I thought it was really smart because it, it feels that way. Yeah. He gives them an energy and an attitude. And today, I mean, Mike Evans pushed him on one and got called. And it was after a couple where I think Evans caught one and then he knocked one away. Yeah. But he wanted Evans every, every time, time in line. Every time Mike Evans stepped in line, he's like, excuse me, Junior, this is my rep. <laughs> I've got this one. Yeah, I got this That attitude is how you have to be to play in the secondary. And I can tell you that at one point out there, I was probably 10 feet away. Mike Evans ran a route. He was covered by Malcolm Butler. The ball was knocked away or it was incomplete. And Mike Evans was yelling at the officials about the pushing. And he didn't, have, he didn't even have his head around. How come you didn't throw a flag? which told me that Malcolm Butler was having a good day against him. Uh-huh. Right. Because when the receivers start to complain to the officials, hey, I need a little – that tells you that things are going not in the direction that they want. So that's a good day for Malcolm Butler. And I, I will say this, guys. The way the game has gone, as you well know, the old goals of, hey, we're going to hold him to three yards of rush and get off the field. And it, the goals now are how many times can we take the ball away? And how many empty possessions can we create, right? I mean, that's kind of the big one. If exactly. They are, and if they get in the red zone, can we keep them to a field goal? Jayon Brown epitomizes where we are right now because I think this guy's a takeaway type machine. Interceptions, cause fumbles, those types of plays, a lot of ball hawking from the linebacker position. Interesting point because does Jayon Brown have a place in this game 10 years ago? Great question, and it's so funny you brought that up. I was talking about that with someone outside because when we were watching practice, we watched Mike Vrabel walk by. I said to the people I was with, I said, you remember, he was an outside linebacker in this league. Now, Mike Vrabel now is a defensive end with his hand in the ground. Mm-hmm. No question, no ifs, no ands or buts. And now you look at the linebackers we've seen, we're seeing out there, Jayon Brown for, for the Titans, Wesley Woodyard for the Titans. Flip it over what you saw with Tampa. Quan Alexander and Levante David, they can fly. But those guys back then, we would have been talking about, can they play strong safety? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you know, because yeah. the size, they're much smaller now. Jayon, barely six feet tall, yep. 
226 pounds. Wesley Woodyard, six feet tall, listed at 233. Listed at. Maybe. Yeah. Quan Alexander. We were bragging on Quan Alexander yesterday, 6'1", 227. Levante David listed at 6'1", 236. No. I saw Levante after no. practice. Practice. I don't see that at all. Not 236? Mm-mm. 226? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and just they, they fly around. They make plays. You know, that's just how it is. That's the way the game, where the game has gone. And it's because of college football. You know, people always talk about how the pros always pushed everything down to the colleges. I think we're in the first true era where the colleges are pushing it up to the pros. And the pros are having a tough time saying that that's happening. But it's true because you have to play with what the colleges give you now. I mean, that's, those guys played linebacker. They would have been strong safeties. I mean, remember David Fulcher? Oh, Cincinnati Bengals what a was beast. a monster. Steve Atwater. Steve Atwater. I see Steve Atwater at different things now, and each time I have to remind myself, he played free safety in the league. He looks like a defensive end in today's football. Um, and the one I was doing, Tim McDonald. Ooh. Looked like, a, looked like an erector set. I mean, he looked like he was 6'5", and these guys were 240 pounds playing safety back in the day. And nowadays, it's a whole different ballgame. Well, we had one here. You know, I mean, Tank Williams. Yes, Tank Williams was a guy who was that big dude, big monster safety, and there's still a place for them, depending on how you run defense, because Cam Chancellor did it in in oh, Seattle, yeah. but it's tougher nowadays because you've got to find people who can cover people. Well, but do you think that there's some sort of a sacrifice that defenses are taking when they choose speed and athleticism over just? girth and size there's a sacrifice you make if the other team's committed to being big and powerful and running the football Mm -hmm. and if they're not really committed to it and most teams truly believe on defense that people say they're committed to it but when push comes to shove you can break that that oc is going to throw the football and and that's a lot of what we have now it's a speed game and that's why the three defensive backs we've talked about with Logan Ryan, with Adoree Jackson, with Malcolm Butler, they're going to be on the field the majority of the time. Everybody talks about two corners. Forget it. We're, we're playing more nickel defense than we ever have, and we're going to continue to do that until the game flips again. And it will. I just don't know when. Charles Davis from NFL Network and from Fox Sports and from Madden. Yes. Yeah, the game came out August 10th. Is that right? Yeah. This now, how, year, mu- how much? Madden 2019. How long did it take you to do all of your work for <laughs> Madden 2019? To make it, I want to be realistic here. We start the sec. We start right after the first preseason game. That's when we go into the office the first time. In fact, for the 2020 game, we had our first two sessions this week, Monday, Tuesday. Already? Yeah. So we always start then. And we do that because we do those, what they call them, live commentary updates, LCUs. Right. So each week, there's fresh commentary that goes in the game. So we'll do like, what, let's, remember I come see you guys during the season, right? right. Titans yeah. game on Sunday. Fly home Monday. Myself and my partner, Brandon Gordon, we're in the studio. Are you in Orlando? We're in Orlando. Okay. Ma- Maitland, Florida. And we record for all the games that were played over the weekend. So Monday and Tuesday, we do that. So typically, Monday is most the games over the weekend. We put in new lines. And Tuesday, we do start doing a lot of stuff towards the next year's game. And by Wednesday or Thursday, a Madden player can download the fresh commentary directly into the game. So you have the lines that just happened. Can I ask a question? Because I have not played Madden, so I don't know. So this might be kind of a dumb question but how do you because i'm assuming you're calling the commentary of what's happening in the game 
how does that work? Like, where do they pull those lines so that they fit to what's happening on the screen? Great question. But Mike, I'm going to finish my answer with Mike. So, Mike, we, we started, you know, here early August. We wrapped last year the second week of June, wow. or this past season, second week That's of June. Crazy. But it's not every week. You understand. We have sure. some weeks where we don't, you know, he's got games, you know, my partner's got games, I've got things, so on and so forth. But it takes, you know, that amount of time to put it together when it's all said and done. Wow. And how we do it is like we're doing it right now and without exaggeration. So if anyone hears our voices, I'm at a table with Mike and Amy. They're across from me. So Amy is calling play-by-play. Play. I'm calling color. We'll have a script, and I'm doing the Joy Tribbiani air quotes right there. And the script will tell you. How you doing? What the, <laughs> the script will tell you. See, now I'm blushing. See, it worked. The script will give Please you. Please let HR know I said that to Charles. Yeah, that's right. The script will give you the situation and the setup, okay? Offensive team up 17 or more points. Third quarter. Last drive was a punt, second and five, you know, that sort of thing. And then the play-by-play person fashions that together. And typically with my script, there will be kind of a, hey, what we're, what we're looking for is a big-time catch on the sideline, 30 yards or more on the play, was contested, wasn't contested, go. Wow. And there's no video, there's no whatever. We don't do it to anything. They don't take any game film, and we watch that. We might do it occasionally ourselves to get into a rhythm, but when it comes time to do the script, he calls it there. I call it here. One of our, friend, one of our bosses called it theater of the mind. And I said, definitely mind because my partner has one. So <laughs> I don't know about that's me. That's unreal. But that's what we do. And that's, and that's how we have to go about doing it. So it's a matter of getting in sync with each other, knowing the situation. And then the person who's moderating it will tell us, okay, great, now we have to do it again to the left side of the field. Now we have to do it again across the middle. Now we have to do this one, you know, third and one run, third and two run. Okay, linebacker inside tackles, linebacker outside tackles, corner tackles, backside corner tackles. But you have the names. so you so, Not always names. Okay. Most of the time it's without names because it can plug and fire with names. The okay. way they've got the algorithms – I don't know how they this do this. This is blowing this is our minds. way over my head. But most of the time it's without names and they plug it in. And then whenever the game fires and those algorithms hit, whatever teams you've selected, that name will pop up and assume that position. But it, so do you have to record all their names then? We do have to record all their names, yes. It sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong, Amy. It sounds like Charles Davis's real full-time job, not NFL Network, <laughs> not Fox Games on Sunday. It sounds like Madden well, is your – I mean, in terms of the hours, do you spend more hours on this than you do preparing for and calling games or working the no, draft? No, no, okay. no. no. I'd, I'd like to claim that, but the answer is no because the Madden people do such a great job of working with us with our schedules. Because my partner, Brandon, he is the number two play-by-play guy for Big Ten Network. And he also he does a nice job, by the does. way. Mm-hmm. And he also does Westwood One Radio. So he may call an additional college or NFL game on a weekend. And then he does basketball during the tournament. And then baseball season, he will also do uh, Big Ten baseball. And during basketball season, he does Fox Sports basketball, some, some Fox Sports football, an occasional college football game. Does he live in Orlando? He lives in Atlanta. Okay. So he will fly in. You know, it's an hour flight, hour, right? So he flies in does his stuff, flies out to wherever. I drive over, do my thing, you know, what have you. But during the season, we're really there Monday, Tuesday. Unless something happens with a Monday, then we might be a Tuesday, Wednesday, based on schedules or a holiday. 
And then when the season's over, excuse me, working around Brandon's schedule, my schedule with the draft and sure. the combine, we'll come in and continue to do things. And, you know, some of the stuff we're doing is actual pickups, patchwork, they call it. They may find a glitch in the game. You know, they may, the, the game may have fired the wrong name. You fixed the and, glitch. And, and you work on fixing the glitches. Because I, I did get, I did hear on Twitter that I called Delaney Walker, Herschel Walker in the game. And hey, for the Mom. life of me, I could not remember ever bringing Herschel Walker's name into it. And I did ask. Now, believe me, if anybody hear my voice, I make my share of mistakes. Sure. Okay. We all do. But I was like, I haven't said Herschel Walker's name, and I don't know how. How did that? And so I called our guys like, did I really do that? And they're like, in this case, you didn't. <laughs> Sometimes when they have to put stuff together, the wrong thing gets. Ah. It just kind of happens. How'd you get picked for this? Don't know. Truthfully, um, the people who have called it in the past, you know, when they had the college game, you know, Jim, uh, uh, Brad Nessler was one Brad of the voices. Brad Nessler. Great voice. Oh. Great voice. Great, even better person. He's a nice guy, He's right? A wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. Um, he and Kirk Herbstreit did it a lot. When the Madden game started, Coach Madden did it for the first nine or ten years with Pat Sumrall. Now, how cool is wow. that? With those with those awesome. voices. Gus Johnson has been the play-by-play guy for the game um, in the past. Um, Jim Nance and Phil Sims did it for a long time together. And so they were looking for a couple of people who could, you know, do a little bit more. Because in the past, the game, how do, how do I say this the right way? Whatever number of hours of commentary they did, that was your game. When you bought the game, that was it. That was it. So obviously, if people played it a lot, they even knew what lines were coming up, you know? So that's hard on an announcer because you can only do so many, but they did what they could commit to and, and, and off they went. They were looking for people who could come in every week like we do now because Jim and, Jim, and, 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 Jim and Phil never did that. In fact, I don't think that they ever sat together and did the game. They did their stuff individually, and then they stitched it together. Wow. So now with me and Brandon sitting there and coming in, they, they, this was brilliant on the Madden people's part, the live commentary updates. That was brilliant. That we, listen, we take no credit for that. We're just the executors. Whoever came up with that idea and said, let's be able to put it right into the game so the player can have something fresh every week, that's big. And so that's what we do. So we, so every week once, and we start in preseason, <laughs> we did it last week already. Just got done talking about the Titans <laughs> and we will take it all the way through the Super Bowl. You do a lot of things. Like you're all over the place. Is Madden the thing you get recognized for the most? Not really, not yet. And, and, and I think, I think a big reason is in the game, I think Jim and Phil, their faces and, and likenesses were in the game. Brandon and I, there's, the, there's one time we pop up like in the third quarter. So it's our voices, but not our faces. Uh, and I think as, you, as you've learned in, in our business, people remember the faces a lot more than the voices at times. Now, Mike is different. Mike's in the no, state. No, I'm not different. Well, No, you are, but you're in the state. You've been representing the Titans for a long time. People see you. You're an ambassador in the community. So you get recognized more so than your average radio person. I get recognized to this day still more for Golf Channel. Do you really? Really? Than I do for a lot of other things, for just about anything else. And I did my last Golf Channel broad, uh, broadcast in 2005 no. because I did that show, The Great Goose 19th Hole, and we were on air. We were on screen almost all. It was a 30-minute show, so 22 minutes, 21 minutes. We were on screen. So people would see us all the time, 
And that's what it was. What I call call a game on Fox, you're on at the open, occasionally during the game, on at the half, occasionally during the second half, maybe a close. It's a little bit different. So your path, you leave the University of Tennessee. Did you go straight to the U.S. Olympic Committee? Was that job one after no, football? No, no, no. I went to the SEC conference. You went to the you, as an intern. You worked in the in the SEC office in Birmingham. Yep, office of the commissioner as an intern. Then I coached football at the University of the Pacific. Before you went to the Olympic Committee. Uh huh. Nineteen eighty nine season. Hugh Jackson was our running backs coach. Yes. Now the coach of the Cleveland Browns. Walt Harris was our head coach. Later coached at Stanford and at Pitt. At Pitt and then Stanford as the head coach. John Gruden was the tight ends coach and my roommate. That must have been interesting. Yeah, that's a yeah, trip. That was, that was a great time. I ha- I've always had a good work ethic. I learned what a real work ethic was living with John. Yeah. He, taught me, he taught me what a real work ethic was. Some people might call us extreme, but that, you know, that you think about John waking up at 317 in the morning yes. every day, it's real. I can I can tell you it's real. You can vouch for that. I can vouch for it because he woke me up many a time saying, "Let's go, it's time to go." And I was like, "No, I'm not going." And I never. He's a motivator, as you might imagine. Now think about this. This is 1989, and he says, "Let's go, coach. Let's go." And I'm like, you know, he get that one eye open to look at your clock. It's like (laughs) John. It's 3:20 in the morning. Because come on, coach, get up. Let's go. Let's go. I said, John, what, what are we doing? Because, come on, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get up. We're going to go for a run, okay? Come back here. We're going to shower. I'm going to stop by the little corner market. I'm going to get myself a big thing of coffee. You get whatever it is that you drink. I don't know what you drink. Get whatever you want. And then we're going to go into the office, and we're going to get to work. And by the time everybody else gets to work, we're going to come to work around 8 o'clock. By the time they get to work, we're a half day ahead of them. You add up those half days over time, we're way ahead of them. Let's go. Next thing I know, I'm out running with him, <laughs> going to the office. The whole deal. So I've seen it in evidence. I understand who he is in terms of that. And he's way ahead in a, in a lot of ways. Everybody was saying the game's passed him by and, you know, where's he been? <laughs> they want to bet? <laughs> I'll bet you. And it's not just because of the work ethic. John has stayed abreast of everything. Is John Gruden one of the reasons you're not coaching? Seeing how he went at it, did that, did that lead you to say, I don't think I want to do this? John motivated me to actually want to stay in coaching. Okay. I ended up going out of coaching for other reasons, ended up having a chance to do some administrative stuff. That's when I went to the Olympic Committee okay. and worked there as the director of the Olympic Training Center. And then I went to Stanford as an assistant AD. Then I went to uh, Disney World, uh, Disney's Wide World of Sports. Now, tell, everybody what you did. tell everybody what you did at Disney. Disney um, decided they were getting into amateur youth sports. And so they created a complex. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the sports complex at Disney. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So when we opened it, there were, you know, the Braves, they signed the deal for the Braves to do um, spring training there. So they put in all the baseball fields that the Braves would need, including a stadium that sees 10,000. It's almost always sold out for their preseason game, for their exhibition games. Um, We had tennis courts, clay tennis courts. Mm -hmm. We had uh, a track and field complex that's... Tremendous. Awesome. We had four fields for football, soccer, whatever. We had one gymnasium or field house that you can convert into anything, basketball, volleyball, whatever. And that was pretty much it when we first began. Okay. So we helped, I helped to open it, brought it out of the ground. The first thing ever was a baseball game, the Braves and the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. 
First hit, Deion Sanders. First stolen base, Deion Sanders. First run scored, Deion Sanders. You didn't right say first night. tackle. No, not, not on that one. <laughs> not, uh, didn't, didn't have to hit anybody that night. Um, so helped open that up. And then in the course of that, Disney at that time also hosted a PGA Tour golf tournament. And when I was at Stanford, the golf course and all of its operations reported to me. And I didn't know the first thing about any of it, so I had to learn along the way. And then the person who ran the golf tournament at Disney left. They tried desperately to get someone with golf experience, and they couldn't. And as a last resort, they gave me the job. So I became the first black tournament director in PGA Tour history. And the first year I I was in charge of the tournament, John Houston beat Davis Love III by one shot. And the second year, Ernie Els and Tiger Woods tied when they made the turn at nine and dueled down the backstretch. And then Ernie threw one in the water on 16, and Tiger wins by a stroke. So first time in PGA Tour history, a black tournament director hands a check to a black winner. That's special. And, it was, and to me, it was extremely special. Not, you know, I can hear people now, nah, you got to understand, I mean, that sport. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and breaking another chain and being a part of that, it was a really special deal. But to just show you the difference in all of it, this was 1999, I believe. And I handed Tiger the check. It was for $540,000 was the winner's share. And he never looked at it and just said, oh, thanks, and put it in his pocket. And I'm like, that's $540,000. Just <laughs> put it in your pocket like that. It's wow. like you handed him a $20 yeah, bill. It was. I was like, oh, my God, what have I gotten into here? Is that how you got to Golf Channel? And, yeah, that was how I got to Golf Channel. They, they, one day they were doing a show, and the person that they, they thought they had couldn't make it. And I got a, like this distress call like, hey, you're a tournament director. We need that perspective. Can you come over? And Golf Channel is located in Orlando. So I rolled over there and did it. And after the show, one of the producers said, you know, ordinarily we only bring guys like you on like once, but we'd like to have you come back. And that started it. And then the show, The Great Goose 19th Hole, got created. Myself, Steve Dumick, the big dog. Because yeah. remember, what was the show? Um, big, uh, the, uh, big, uh, not Big Break. What was it called? Oh, I remember the show. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, um, it was a show. It was a show where all these golfers got their chance to yeah. get on, you know, get 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 into a tournament and what have you. Big break, I think it was. I called. think it was big break. Big Something break. had a sponsor name in sponsor front of it. Sponsor name and, and big break, and he was the dominant personality of it of the first series, first show season. And so they brought him in and brought me in, and he was the crusty guy, and I was supposed to be the nice guy, I guess. And Kelly Tillman and Vince Cellini often hosted it. And remember Dave Marr would host sure, it. Sure, Dave Marr. Great guy, and, and did that for five years. See, that's wow. the funny thing is, Amy, he's just like you. Went to college, of course played ball, was going to be a broadcaster, and then it took him forever to get into broadcasting. Uh-huh. Like you did here, you came here – Having majored in broadcasting, but had to, you know, you You took a work too. She took a route around. We had to do real jobs first. She took a route around. You really took a route around, and look how it's turned out. Because I left Tennessee in '86 with my undergrad degree, and then I got my graduate degree when I was coaching at Pacific. I came back to Tennessee in the summer. (laughs) We had like a three-week break, and I came back and took my uh, my my test for my, my master's degree. Nice. And got it done in 89. And my first broadcast was 1997. Wow. 
and that was a total fluke. That was just somebody called out of the blue and said, hey, we need someone for a game. And do you remember Mark Whitworth? Of we, course, we with school. the SEC. We, 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 yes. Mark, Mark worked in the sports information department at Tennessee, and he had told someone at Fox South that he thought I could do a good job as an, as an analyst. And they were like, okay, fine. And the person had my name for over two years and then was jammed for an announcer. You never know. Jammed. Eight days before the game had no one, and it was Memphis State at Mississippi State. And they were still Memphis State. Jackie, Jackie Sherrill. You remember the name Kiefer McGee? The yes, running the back? running back, sure. He had, drown- he, had, he had drowned that summer yes. in, a, in an accident. And so that was the first game they were going to play without Kiefer McGee, and they had his number 21 painted on the oh. field, and it was an emotional day. And Memphis State came and played them off their feet. And then Mississippi State kicked the field goal at the buzzer and beat them. That's the first oh. game I ever did. And wow. that was, and that was, I got the call eight days before that game. And you often wonder, what if that had been one way or the other, a 62-7 to seven game? Who knows? Where the broadcaster doesn't really matter at that point, but instead you got to do a good game, you got a good taste of it, somebody heard you and said he... I got lucky. You, you I, got, I, got, I got really lucky, and the craziest part about that day was game's over, Starkville, Mississippi, can't fly out. You know, it's limited number of flights sure. in now, so I have to stay over and go out Golden on Golden Triangle the Airport. Golden Triangle Airport. <laughs> and I have to go out the next day, so I'm back at the hotel, and next thing you know, CNN, car accident in France, Princess Di. Yeah. And then I'm up all night because the news, because it wasn't instant, you know. And, in fact, the first reports were, doesn't seem to be that serious. Uh-huh. I remember I heard it on remember? the I was working a ball game and driving back from the stadium. It was August 31st. August 31st, 1997. Mm-hmm. It's my birthday. Happy birthday. Well, yeah. Sorry about that. Well, sorry, okay. sorry, sorry, sorry to that. To you don't want to know Whatever. what birthday it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. That was really, old. yeah, that I'm would, already old. That but would it, really, but I was up all night that yeah, night with, with, with the news. But I remember it doesn't appear to be that serious. And then we're trying to find, and the next mm-hmm. thing you know, they announced that she had she passed, passed away. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That was my first one, and off we went. We are so thrilled that you and Dan are working these yeah. games for the Titans. We are too, believe me. And what's really nice is now, is this. Three or four? Three. Yeah. Three. It's three years, and so our fans have had a chance to say, hey, these are our guys. They're national guys. They're working our game, and and your your relationship to the state. Everybody yeah. knows you played at the University of Tennessee. I, I think it's really, as the organization has tried to do different things to be more first class, mm-hmm. more exciting, th- this has been something really, really exciting. And I know for you, it's been more than just a job. Yeah, it has. It really has. It's been phenomenal. For all the reasons that you stated, this organization has treated – I won't speak for Dan because that's improper to do, but I have a feeling he'd co-sign on it. <laughs> They've treated us so well. I mean, and you mentioned the, the, the term first class. Everything has been first class. You know, the way people treat you, making sure that everything is taken care of in terms of, you know, where you have to be, accommodations, sure. you know, the information you need to prepare for a game, getting to meet the, you know, the coaches and the staff, players, if you need, all of it that goes into it has, has trickled down right from the top. You know, Mrs. Mrs. Strunk, Mrs. Adams Strunk, her message is clear and it goes down through everyone. Now you have to understand it took a long time before I met her. So, Everyone I met along the way. I've known Mike since college, so that was a great introduction. But along the way, everyone was the same in terms of how it went. Now, this is our second 
well, third coaching staff, mm-hmm. right? Essentially, right. essentially third coaching staff, you know, from, from Ken Wisenhunt to Mike Malarkey to here, but all of them treated us well. So I mean, when you add it all together, Dan being a Tennessee grad, myself being a Tennessee grad, I was born in this state. My mother's family's still in this state. You know, I was an Elizabethan, Tennessee guy. You're still the most famous broadcaster from Elizabethan. Yeah, not the most famous player because Witten, Witten, Witten. Yeah, but Witten hadn't done run. a game yet. Yeah. So. He's about to. He's yeah. about to. So, you know, it's going to be a little dicey here coming up. But, yeah. and, and it's Carter so County? Carter County Hospital. Mm-hmm. I was born in the old Carter County Hospital. Mm-hmm. He was born in the new Carter County Hospital. Well, you see, ne- then it's different. It's, you know? uh, it's not even a competition. Then. So, it's so, apples so, and oranges. So that, Jason Witten's is. pretty famous, though. He is and, kind of and, famous. And you know what's interesting? I'll leave it with this. In Elizabethan, Tennessee, Jason's grandfather, as you guys know, Coach Ryder, was the coach. Like every, every t- that was our coach and what have you. I would have just missed, if we had stayed in Elizabethan, I would have just missed playing for him because it would have been a previous administration before he came in. And for years, I'd always thought, God, if we stayed in Elizabethan, I would have played for Coach Ryder. And I said that to my father. And he said, no, actually, you wouldn't have. I said, really? He said, no, he came in after, and you would not have played for the previous guy. I said, what do you mean I wouldn't have played for the previous guy? And he said, well, my dad coached at the black school in Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Douglas, and had a tremendous record, football, basketball, whole deal. This is just like Remember the Titans. They integrated. My dad's supposed to be the assistant, one of the assistants on the staff. He goes over to meet with the guy. The guy says, well, coach, you've done a great job and know all about you and respect heck out of you and can't wait to have your, your players here, but we just don't have any room for you on the staff. I'm so sorry. We've already made some promises, blah, 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 so on and so forth. My dad just took him at his word and walked away, and next day he hired another person who happened to be white. So my dad said, because I said, well, if we stay in Elizabeth, I would play. He goes, no, if we stay in Elizabeth, you would have played somewhere else because, wow. because of what that man did. And I, you know when I learned that story? Last year. First time I'd heard it. Really? That story happened in 1967. And my dad just now telling me this story. I'd never heard it before. That's unbelievable. Isn't that unbelievable? It was just like Remember the Titans. It's totally like Remember the Titans. <laughs> and so I was like, you got to be kidding. He said, yeah, you wouldn't have played for him. No, we would have taken you somewhere else. <laughs> wow. How about that? But it was not Coach Ryder. Coach Ryder came in after that. I had some deja vu earlier today because it's August the 16th. Yep. 41 years ago today, playing baseball in my front yard with a buddy of mine, his mother comes running across the street, crying hysterically. Elvis Presley has died. Oh, 1977. Yes. Yes. And they were from Memphis. And to people from Memphis, Tennessee, Elvis Presley, I mean, he wasn't just the king of rock and roll. He was all about Memphis. They were so proud of him. He was almost, I don't want to say a godlike figure, but, but way up there. Yes. Right. And so then today, we lose Aretha Franklin. I know. How about huh. that? The Queen of Soul. And um, on the same day, same we lost day. Elvis Presley. But there's an irony in this from a different sense. Of course, Elvis Presley is thought to be Memphis, Tennessee. Right. He's actually Tupelo, Tupelo Miss- Mississippi. I've been to the one-room house where he was born. In Tupelo. The room where we're broadcasting today bigger. is bigger than what that house was. Wow. Yep. Aretha Franklin is thought to be 
Detroit, Michigan. And yes. you, Amy, you know I love Motown. And, I do. And so, I do know this. I, I, I mean, it hit me this morning when I saw the text. I just, you know, uh, respect and, yes. and, 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 you know, just everything. She is originally from Memphis, Tennessee. How about that? Really? So I didn't and, know and, that. And, and one, a great Tennessean we and, lose today. And one other thing, Motown for Aretha Franklin, right? Yes. That sound, the Motown sound. Elvis Presley, king of rock and roll. But what were both of their roots? Gospel. In the church. Mm-hmm. Her, fa- her father was a famous pastor, yep. and Elvis Presley learned to sing the same yep. way. Same way. I mean, it's just, I can't believe it's the same time frame. It's unbelievable. The wow. same day. <sighs> wow. That just gave me a little bit of a well, chill right you there. You told an you interesting know? story, and I was just thinking about it. I don't chill. know why. We'll probably cut this out. But no, we won't. No, I, I just, I just remember. I remember when Elvis passed, and and I mean, they broke into the newscast. Oh, they, you know, they broke in with your your local TV show or what have you to bring you the news, and that was how it was done back then. You know, when President Kennedy was shot, they broke into your local broadcasting, and they did the same thing with Elvis, and then the funeral was. Massive. Unbelievable with all those white hearses, you know, the white cars and the hearses and whoa. Yeah. You know, in fact, they had to remember, they had to move his body. They actually buried him in a different cemetery. And they were worried about people. You know, he was there and it had a crypt in in Memphis. And they were like, oh, this this is not going to work. Couldn't bury him with his twin brother. Jesse Aaron. Yeah. And so they ended up bringing him back and had to, you know, petition the state, which I'm sure passed through quite quickly. And they buried him in the grounds of Graceland. Wow. And so his mother's there, father's there, yeah. he's there, his twin brother Jesse's there, and they're all all buried there. I've been to Graceland numerous times. See? Now. See, I've never been. He loves history. I like that. You remember the Liberty Bowl 86? Yes. We went twenty one to fourteen over Minnesota. Over Minnesota, whose whose coach was John Gudekunst. John Gudekunst. Whose son, Brian Gudekunst, is now the GM of the Green Bay Packers. That's exactly right. Who we saw last week. That's yeah. right. And so we go rolling in and we're gonna play in Memphis and the whole deal. <laughs> and I'll never forget we're rolling. <laughs> and newspaper reporter, I forgot who it was. It might have been Cindy McConkey, who was our beat reporter. The late great Cindy McConkey, one of the great, one of the first great female sports writers yes. in this in this country. In fact, she, the locker room rules changed for for Absolutely. because she wasn't permitted in the locker room. She went to USA games. today and it was a big deal and she was one of my heroes. And so actually. we changed our we had to change our locker room policy to where no one could be in the locker room, you had to go to a podium. But anyway, that was for that was the smart play, it was the right play. But she I think she interviewed in my my teammate Tim Hendricks. She said, she was asking all of us, what are you excited about doing in Memphis? Are you excited about going to Graceland or whatever? And Tim said, I don't know what's so excited about seeing some dead man's house. And that got printed. Oh, no. Right? That oh, got into no. the newspaper. And I was like, oh, no. Do you know where we're going? Yeah. And we're taking the bus to Graceland. Oh. And I had told all the guys. And so when we got on the bus and sat down, I kind of gave everybody a signal. And we all moved. And left Tim sitting by himself because oh. I, I said, I said, if something's going to go down, going to Graceland, we're not going to be near you. And to this day, I tease him about the whole thing. DeSoto, Texas. DeSoto, Texas. So we took Tim the Hendricks. tour and wow. we took the tour at Graceland. Back then, it was a, a true docent giving you yeah. the tour and what have you. And we were young and stupid. And, you know, we'd heard all the stories about how Elvis really died and what have you. And by the time we were done with that, she could not wait for us to be done. 
But the best, leave, the best picture that I saw on the tour is the greatest irony ever. Because you remember Elvis had the drug issues. Yes, my boy. Right. Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick. <laughs> was it Nickopolis? Nick, yes. Nickopolis yes. or whatever. Dr. Nick, was he was Dr. Feelgood. Mm-hmm. He took care of Elvis. And there's a picture in, you know, on the tour of the king with President Richard Nixon. In the Oval Office, the king's in full cape, the whole deal, looking a little out little, of it, a little ragged, yeah, a little ragged. Like you seen some things. Shaking hands with the president of the United States, who was awarding him an honorary DEA drug enforcement yep. drug enforcement agency member, not membership like badge. he made a badge, and the whole deal. And the best part was, remember the Memphis Mafia? Sure. His bodyguard. Absolutely. Red and Sonny Red West. Red West and, yep. Sonny West sure. and the whole deal. Now, you know, they all grew up with Tim McCarver, the great baseball yes. announcer. Those were his boys. It was in the book. It was in, in Red's book, and Tim McCarver corroborated it for me later. Elvis was carrying in the Oval Office. Stop it. They never frisked him because he was Elvis Presley. I mean, why would you? The Secret Service is right there. Elvis is shaking hands with the Prez, and he's packing. You see why this office. guy's good at his job? That's phenomenal. How great is that? That right there. You it, see why? Amy, he, you see why this guy? Amy, he's closer to the president than you are to yeah. Mike right now. Uh-huh. Taking the photo, and Elvis is carrying, yeah. and the Secret Service is like, "Yeah, it's Elvis." This, this is why every play-by-play <laughs> guy in America, every play-by-play guy in America, uh. wants to work with Charles. Davis. <laughs> He's because got he story. knows stuff like this. Uh-huh. What is this podcast, Jeff? About an hour and 45 minutes now? Yeah, two and a half hours. That's because I won't shut up and quit talking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. This it's has so been fun. fun. Just to, you know, it's just fun to just talk ball, talk, yeah. talk a lot of topics. It's so much fun to be with you guys all the time. You guys are ter- terrific. And thanks, as always, for treating me, Dan, the rest of us with such class and, you know, just for, not just professionalism, but you guys are just wonderful to us, and that's because you guys are wonderful. Oh. So thank you. Aww. And you know it's true. You know, I know it sounds kind of sappy, but trust me on this. It's not like this everywhere. It's really not. And, and I think we all know that. Some places do it better than others. This place does it as well as, as, as it's done in the league. Well, we love having you guys around. You, of course, and you've been very helpful for us. And Dan Helly as well. We love having yeah, him as Dan, part of Dan's the team. Dan's a good man. Another Vol. Uh-huh. Another VFL, baby. There's a lot of them around here, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Is there a problem? Interesting. (laughs) For Jeff Harding, for Charles Davis, and for Amy Wells, who seems to have some issue with that. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that off air. Get a little M-I-Z in there somewhere. (laughs) No M-I-Z, but this is the OTP. (laughs) 